we are hoping to show you just what is possible out there in our strange and wondrous world. One of the dogs started to howl. Almost immediately, all 400 dogs that were there started to howl along with it. We travel for business. We travel for pleasure. The conditions can change so quickly and it became very challenging to maneuver that kayak. We travel to expand our minds. Of course, the most dangerous animal in Africa is the hippo. More people are killed by hippos than anything else. Whether it's one state over. I was looking for a longer treatment, like 90 days, six months, and my treatment plan was to go hike the Appalachian Trail. Or halfway around the globe. This fantastic high desert, you watch the sky at night, so you just see the Milky Way and shooting stars. If the world's a book, why only read one page? I'm Elizabeth Hill, and you're listening to a WAMC Northeast Public Radio production. This is Postcards from the Road. Support for Postcards from the Road comes from CEFQ, serving banking, insurance, and investment needs with more than 30 branches across the greater capital region. Also offering assistance to local nonprofit organizations through CEFQ's community support program. CEFQ. Changing lives every day. SefQ.com. Last week on Postcards from the Road, we dived into the world of coffee. This week, we're all about tea. The history of tea encompasses multiple cultures and spans thousands of years. Kevin Borowski is the co-owner of The Whistling Kettle, which is a tea shop and restaurant with locations in Troy and Boston Spa, New York. Borowski and his wife caught the entrepreneurial bug and after extensive research, the pair opened the company in 2004. Borowski says their love for tea and a conversation with his mother sparked the idea. My mother, who from Germany, she came back from a visit and she mentioned uh, having gone to a tea store. Now, at this very same time, my wife and I had started drinking tea, more for health reasons than anything else, but we got hooked onto it. So the combination of us getting into it then with my mother mentioning this tea shop is like, hey, could this be a business? And we started researching it. And lo and behold, like within a few weeks, we come across a little newspaper, the Learning Annex, where you can take a little catalog and take all kinds of classes. It could be accounting classes. And I always laughed. There was there was even a class like how to how to seduce somebody with your voice. <laughs> Great <laughs> so, for radio. But 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 basically all of a sudden it was like how to open a tea shop. So that was like, okay, this is an interesting class. So we took it and, and pretty much confirmed our, our initial research that there was a growing market in the, the tea world. It's been underserved for many decades in the United States. And part of that is historical, going back to the revolution where the United States became more of a coffee mm-hmm. culture. How did you go about sourcing your teas and finding all of these teas from across the world? Luckily, there's resources. So if, if somebody wants to start a tea business, there are numerous trade shows going on a couple of times a year where you can go and meet all sorts of importers and even the representatives from the tea farms themselves. So you can get to meet and greet people face-to-face and sample their wares, basically. So that's what we did. We did go to China prior to even getting into this idea, but that was more casual, going to visit like tea houses and, and not actually going to source the product directly. So, But that is where we kind of started out in that in that realm. And then as we kind of grew and, and got more experience, then we started connecting more directly with different blenders and finding different direct sources. So a lot of that we, we do over the internet where we can request samples, we can 
you know, talk prices and everything like that without having to step outside our our door. Now, are certain teas part of certain regions? So you'll find like your oolong tea in China? It's very similar to wine. It's a great comparison because you'll have Bordeaux and you'll have it's you know from a specific region, but you also have different wine grapes like Cabernet can be grown in multiple areas. So very similar with tea, and and you'll see that a lot of uh, tea types tend to cluster in certain areas. So for example, oolongs, they're mainly in China. Taiwan is also a big oolong producing area, and also some parts of Southeast Asia like Vietnam. But you won't really see oolongs coming out much of like India, for example. Japanese, for example, they're all green tea. I haven't seen any Japanese oolong teas. And what makes them different? Part of it is is genetics. So there are there are like you know Camellia sinensis is the actual tea plant, but there's varieties like sub varieties of it. So there'll be a, an Assamica variety that comes more from Africa and India, and then there's the Camellia sinensis from China. So it's a slightly different leaf, and the strength of the tea is also slightly different. Um, so over the many years, they've been doing crossbreeding of the tea leaves to sometimes get like a specific flavor profile that they do. But then after the tea just grows, you have the environmental aspects of the altitude and how much rain does it get and the, the conditions of the soil. But then after that, how is it processed? Some of uh, the mass-produced teas are all mechanized, even from the, the harvesting aspect. They'll take giant lawnmowers and like mow it. So yeah. that's kind of what you would see in like um, a mass-produced sort of Lipton, whereas like the higher-end product that we sell, a lot of it's hand-picked and hand-sorted in certain cases. They'll have some mechanization to a degree to help sort the teas and, and help roll it. They'll have like a machine that kind of rolls the tea, mm-hmm. but some some are rolled by hand. So it's the process by which it's picked and sorted and what kind of leaf do they pick? You know, Do they pick um, the two leaves in a bud, which is the ideal part, or do they pick lower leaves? So that's in a, in a way teas like tobacco, where you know yeah. the primary the the quality is near the top where the sun hits it, and then less quality as you go down the bush. All those things there's like many many factors that go into the final product. How would you describe the taste differences between teas from different region? Once you kind of get a palate, and this is really when people start out. A lot of times they start with flavor teas because that's they're going from coffee, and coffee is a very dark bold flavor. So going to coffee, let's say, and then going to like a green tea, you may not pick up all the flavors, especially if you go to a white tea, for example, which is even more delicate. So like say for green tea, there could be green teas that have more of a smoky flavor to it and other ones that have more of grassy flavor. And then there's other ones that have a astringent, you kind of feel like an astringency, little light bitterness to the, the back of the tongue. And as far as black teas, there could be ones like ones from China, have a very distinctive aroma. Sometimes I, I would say it's like almost notes of wood mm-hmm. and, and cedar. And, and and whereas like the ones from India are often much more potent and powerful and um, malty, I okay. would say is a good word. So, you know, we have something for breakfast. You want something strong and powerful. So I would stick with some of the Indian varieties rather than a Chinese variety. And what about stuff that you put in your tea? I usually drink my tea plain without Mm -hmm. any honey or milk or anything but what would you suggest for people who want to try different teas from all around the world a lot of teas so there's a lot of options and that's the great part about tea because you can go so many different directions because you can have black tea but then you can have blended black teas and then flavored black teas so i always say start off with the tea by itself just to see what it tastes like and 
if you're having a flavor tea, when they add ingredients like nuts and fruit and spices, you might find that the tea tastes great without it. Yeah. Um, some of the stronger teas, if they're really strong, a little splash of milk will help mellow out, kind of round out the flavor. And um, with, when you get into green teas, it's really don't or I don't recommend anything. Okay. I also, from a health aspect, and I personally will put a little honey, like a, maybe a teaspoon a day when I drink my morning tea. But going beyond that, I'm not a I I'm not a proponent of adding sugar or added sugars to it. And if, for example, green tea, if you're drinking it for health reasons, part of it is, you know, it'll be negated by adding sugar to it. So. A lot of people come to me, they, you know, they want to get off sugar. So I said, just gradually reduce it. Eventually your, your flavor palette will change and you'll, you'll not miss it. I saw on your website that you guys talk about health benefits of different teas from around the world. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about those? Well, all tea contains in one form or another antioxidants and antioxidants, you know, of, of diet rich in antioxidants, lowers incidence of um, chronic diseases cancer being one of them. I've spoken with many doctors, even doctors at like prestigious universities who've done the research. Even one guy fought the FDA and won. They got it where he can actually use the terminology that tea may help prevent certain cancers. So from a health aspect, you know, from any, any area of the world that drinks a lot of tea, you'll notice that the, the cancer rates are lower. It's also good hydration as well. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of herbal teas that have additional benefits. And that's basically what herb you drink, but there's anti-inflammatory aspects too. And inflammation is also a a concern with a lot of people because inflammation, chronic inflammation can lead to diseases. Yeah. So tea is anti-inflammatory as long as well as other herbs. You do get some people that come in and they try to, they try to think of like, Hey, can I cure this or cure that? And I don't really say tea will cure anything. I mean, yeah, you'll see a lot of people marketing tea, for example, like detox teas. I just had a customer ask about that. And really the detox, a lot of it's like Instagram marketing and celebrity, and there's really no proven scientific evidence that detox tea or any detox diet will have like a a benefit that you can measure. Is drinking tea along with a better diet? I I think there's benefits to that. Yeah. But um, I just don't try to overplay it that it's going to be a miracle. Yeah. Do you have a favorite tea that you have at the Whistling Kettle? We have the teas that we sell in the store, and we also have an online division, so I even have more there. It's kind of hard to say. It's almost like asking me what my favorite beer is. Yeah. You know? I do like Chinese black teas. That's actually what I'm drinking right now. Okay. They tend to be my, my preferred go-to tea, but it depends also what time of day it is. So, like, in the morning, I go with a very strong black tea that um, I blend my myself personally. And then as I progress through the through the day... I might, if I'm in a whimsical type of mood, I'll have a, a flavor tea. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I, I will go with like a lighter oolong during the middle of the day, just kind of like a mid-afternoon refresh or a green tea. And then at night, I'll switch to herbal, something caffeine-free okay. and uh, something flavorful. And the... Because a lot of people don't realize that some teas do have more caffeine. You can go to 10 different sites and get 10 different answers. So I'm going to give you just an estimate, approximate, like a, a cup of coffee is around 100, 110 milligrams of caffeine per serving, whereas the equivalent of black tea would be like 45. And really, it's pound for pound. Both tea and coffee have the same same amount of caffeine if, by dry weight, but you use less tea in a cup than you do coffee. So that's why it's less. But there are other things with tea, and tea has an amino acid called L-theanine in, in it, for example, that gives tea its calming effect. 
and the curve of caffeine is, is gentler. So you're not getting a, a buzz and then it goes down. It's basically a gentle, longer lasting, calm stimulation that it gives you. Black tea would be the highest, mm -hmm. but I can drink a lot of black tea and not have a problem with if you drink coffee too much, you can have adverse reactions to the caffeine. So yeah, I, I kind of like scale my caffeine down over the course of the day. The brewing guide that you have online, it's the recommended brewing for each individual tea. Can you explain that just a little bit? Yeah, it's and some people they get scared, especially with loose tea, because they're used to bags, and it's really easy. I, I don't even, I'm so nonchalant about brewing. I don't even like follow the rules myself. It's I give like a rough rule of thumb, because once you get used to a tea, you kind of like subconsciously just know how much you're going to use, and, and, and really all it is is like how much tea do you use, how much water, and then what temperature. And with black teas, you're always using pretty much boiling water or near boiling water. And then as you go like oolongs or green teas, you lose cooler water. And depending on how much you make, mm -hmm. a few teaspoons to a tablespoon, you got to kind of adjust it to your taste. I do a drink. I drink it differently than other people. Some people will put it in a bag and then, or a little strainer and then steep it and then remove it. And I keep the tea sitting in there the entire time. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask if you had something at the bottom yeah, of it. Yeah, this is just tea floating around in here. So I'll just drink it and, you know, I'll, I adjust the, the, the quantities just so it doesn't over get too strong. Okay. And all our teas will have packaging, have instructions, kind of a rule of thumb. Okay, use two teaspoons per eight ounces, use boiling water, and steep for four to six minutes. That's kind of like your basic guide. But okay. um, if, for example, green tea, if you, if you oversteep it, um, if you use too hot water, it'll start getting very bitter. And that's, people say, I don't like green tea because they, they microwave, they nuke the water and uh, it's too hot. And then they let it sit in there for five minutes and it's going to get so bitter that yeah. it's almost undrinkable. So now that you guys have this operation and this business, do you guys find yourself when you travel finding small tea shops and admiring that, the teas yeah that that was one of our biggest uh anytime we travel we, we like two things on my list is tea place and a beer place that's the two <laughs> things so i have to do both i'm a big beer person too but and that's how we originally got into the idea we visited different tea places and kind of looked at how they did things and then kind of took that into account and say how do we want to do it um, but i do like to see other tea shops whenever i go and there are a lot more now than there have ever been and i personally think too Going to a tea shop is far better experience than buying it online. Yeah. It's great if you visit a place and then like you, you can't get there and you need to refill. But just to, to explore, to touch it, to look at it and to kind of enjoy the atmosphere is, is superior than just going online exclusively. I, I have like two basic parts of my life that we did traveling and we did a lot of traveling to Germany and my parents are from there. So that that aspect was different because we didn't go as tourists we went as like family members and i was basically played on the street all day with kids in the neighborhood yeah. um and we did get to visit um communist east germany before the wall fell like th three years before the wall fell so that was that made a huge impression on me just in general as far as you know seeing life behind the iron curtain and that probably in the back of my mind you know fortified like you know i want to own my own business then um, after college, I started traveling a little bit more, and, and the Chinese trip was very interesting because that was right when I was first starting to get into tea with my wife. We were newlyweds, but um, I also had a unique opportunity to travel to China, not as a tourist per se. I mean, we did tour some of the Beijing and the Forbidden City and some of those things, but okay. my, my father-in-law lived there, 
and he lived in Kunming, which is in Yunnan. That's the birthplace of tea. Oh, wow. And so we got to stay there in a villa with interpreters, and um, they had a Chevy van there. And so we got to go and take trips all around and kind of see it more from a casual, you know, going on a tour guide type of thing. Yeah. So um, we got to experience tea there, and there were tea everywhere there, even watching Chinese on their bicycles. And I would see the tea, like uh, the water bottles all had tea in it. So you see the tea sloshing around. Yeah. So that's kind of how I drink it this way. That's the way the Chinese drink it when they're traveling. It's like just leave the, the leaves in there. Yeah. The cold brewing, basically, the, before everyone knew what cold brew was. <laughs> Coming back, and I brought some tea back with me. It really got me. And we have at our Paulson Spa restaurant a giant tower of tea, which yeah. we we brought back from China. That's a pretty cool thing. You can't find it anywhere here that That's I know awesome. of. Likewise, when we were looking to do this business, we were like, all right, let's. We did a lot of traveling throughout mainly the Northeast, but we wanted to find a, like a town, a city, or some place that we could do this business. So we literally yeah. connected the dots. We ran through the internet and population centers okay it had to be 25,000 minimum or something like that and just visited town after town yeah probably 40 or 50 towns just to kind of look at it go boots on the ground see what's that was before google street view was available now yeah. i think i could have done it all from home but it was a good adventure <laughs> because at least i got to visit a, a lot of tea and beer places although there were not many tier uh either of many of those now you know, yeah now the amount of beer the is it's crazy how yeah. much that it, so but we we did visit the place that we did our um, class with. That the the president who ran the class he was a president of a of a tea company up in Boston. Okay. So we got to go visit his place. That kind of gave us another idea of like what our we wanted to evolve our our concept into. Yeah. We didn't want to copy anyone. That was the one thing we didn't want right. to copy. We wanted to do our own thing. Going going to these different locations really you know you someone can advertise something as being great on a website, but then you get there and you're like, eh, it's not that great, you know? So it was, uh, that was our adventure. To, yeah. To, and, and like you said earlier, you are expanding to Schenectady. Why did you decide to um, expand to Schenectady? Part of it was challenge-wise. You know, we, we wanted to have one of our own buildings just in case something happened. You know, you never know what happens. Someone changes ownership of the building that you're in and then and then something else happens. So we wanted to have a little stability. And this one is something we're going to kind of go from the ground up and really the first store that we could actually build in our image and like what our original uh, store in Balsa Spa, for example, we were limited by our experience, which was zero. We like we had no restaurant experience, yeah. and no business experience. The second restaurant was already kind of a pre-cut form it was you know we kind of worked around it in troy we worked around yeah. our our um the pre-existing restaurant was there but this this building is an all new so we can kind of design the whole interior what we wanted to represent and part of it is we like to be part of of uh downtown revitalization yeah and being from new york you know i've seen when it was back in the early 80s when it had a you know, lot no one wanted to be there yeah that sort of gives gives us an idea when I see a place and I see there's potential and it's like, hey, this could be great, you know, and we can be part of this and be part of the revitalization. That gives us also, you know, uh, an opportunity to kind of contribute to whatever community we're in, just not just by being there and offering people kind of a sanctuary that's not a bar, you know, yeah. like it, it's a family friendly type of business. For more information on The Whistling Kettle, their products, menus and locations, visit thewhistlingkettle.com. Postcards from the Road is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. I'm your host and producer, Elizabeth Hill. Our theme music is Cherry Blossom Wonders by Kevin McLeod. 
As always, if you like what you hear, subscribe on your audio app of choice. Visit wamcpodcasts.org for more information. If you would like to share your travel story with WAMC, email us at postcards at wamc.org.